G'day guys, Luke McElroy from Mets Performance Assaulting. Welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets Podcast, joined by Nick Jane Koskis again today. Uh, what are we talking about today, Nick? Yeah, so we had some, some good questions come through um, around training intensity distribution. So what we mean by that is the, the type of, I guess, split in your week, uh, so to speak, of, of where your intensity lies. So what proportion is maybe long and slow, maybe what proportion is is above your threshold and more towards VO2 max, and then if there's some in between in terms of threshold. So this is where we start to throw out the terms like polarized approach that you might have heard before. The, the typical one that aligns with that is that 80-20 principle of 80% long and slow, 20% above. So we had some questions around, there's been some ideas floated around for different athletes around the world, in particular, some of the Norwegian tri- uh, triathletes um, following maybe something closer to like a 90-10 uh, type model and trying to establish is it a peer is it a is it a polarized approach should I say um, when they're sort of looking at and around VT2 uh, as their marker which realistically for those who aren't, aren't completely sure what VT2 is it's very very much your, your lactate threshold or your functional threshold very similar point um, doing some work there rather than necessarily way above um, how, do, how does that sort of work is it a polarized model and ultimately what are the benefits of doing more of a polarized approach um, to training. So we're going to cover a couple of things here, but do we just want to start with, uh, I guess, what probably the most effective training intensity distribution is, arguably, in terms in terms of um, what split is probably going to build your engine the best for the most part, and then we can start going into some of those other areas. Yeah, so, so where, where the whole polarised training distribution, well, the whole goal of it is, is to essentially improve your VO2 max, all right? And we have this protein called PGC1A, doesn't matter. All that does is it tells our body to make more mitochondria, uh, which allow us to uptake oxygen at a faster rate and therefore increase our VO2 max, which is gonna push up our lactate threshold and all those other metrics as well, okay? Now there's two ways that this protein is expressed. One is through what we call the calcium pathway. That, that happens with repeated contractions at a low intensity. That's just easy, continuous zone two. That's gonna get that protein working. The other way is through what we call the AMP kinase pathway. AMP, uh, sorry, yeah, AMP means You've got the ATP, which is your adenosine triphosphate, ADP, which is two, and then AMP, which is one, all right? So what that's saying is we need to break down a th- like a three molecule to a two and then down to a one, but we need to be in an energy crisis. We need to be at a really high intensity for that to happen, okay? And, and that's where that percentage of VO2 max comes from, whether that's, you know, whatever it is, 90 to, to 100, to, well, you, you could go above you go 100, above. yeah, whatever it is. Really, really high intensity to get an energy crisis or really slow. Uh, and continuous to to get that calcium pathway going. So they're the two ways that, that get this protein going. And, and that's why we do a polarized training because b- both long, slow and really high intensity will, will stimulate this protein, give us more mitochondria, increase our VO2 max, push everything up. So that's the theory behind it. Um, and that's why it's effective. And it is physiologically very, very effective in, at improving that. And, and we harp on it all the time. I feel like we're all sort of t- talking, yeah. talking about it every we week. We come back we're, to it every couple yeah, of months. Talking yeah. about specificity and things like that. Well, that, that's all good. That gives you your general base, your general engine, and then you need to turn that into some specific fitness. So um, I think the key point with, with we want to call it polarized training, whether you want to say we're working at VT2 or, or lactate threshold or, or at VO2 max, like for a lot of people, particularly if you're fit, like the, the, not necessarily elites, but pretty top end age groupers, the difference between your th- lactate threshold and hitting an appropriate percentage of VO2 max to, to get this protein working is, is minuscule, all right? Like, like, like you'll have, you have some elite athletes that can hold 90 to 92% of VO2 max at their threshold. So they're already at, a, at an appropriate intensity 
when they're doing their VO2 max work. So I guess what I'm saying is here, like you might have somebody who's working, let's say that an average individual, a good average is working at 85% of their VO2 max at their threshold. So they're doing lots of training at around that. Well, the difference between doing 85% and then getting to like 87 or 88%, it's a couple of percent, right, to, yeah. to, to change the, the focus of the session. So when people work at their VT2 or their LT2, whatever you want to call it, um, they would still be getting, depending on the work to rest ratios and, and durations, things like that, they're going to be still getting a fair stimulus from that AMP pathway. Um, is it the most effective physiologically? You know, again, maybe maybe it's not. In my opinion, you want to get onto the higher end, that 90, 95% VO2 max. But then it sort of mixes some good physiology with obviously better specificity, and that's going to, you know, that's going to result in a pretty good race performance if you do that year round. The the only other thing is like you say traditionally, like when when you're working at your threshold, you generally do more volume. And that's just, I mean, it's good and bad. It's, it's good if you can withstand it, but it's going to obviously fatigue you a lot as well. Yep. Um, so you've got to find that balance between the training load that you're doing and, and obviously correlate that to performance. If you're, it's probably different for cycling as opposed to running. Running, you're going to hurt yourself probably if you do a lot of that. If you go every day, you run 90 minutes at your threshold, you're going to be pretty cooked. Yep. Um, cycling, I'm not saying you wouldn't be, but you don't have that, that load bearing nature. So it, it's at a really simple level, unless you're the elite of the elite, do your easy stuff easy, do your hard stuff pretty hard, right on the limit or above, and you're going to get some good benefits. So, um, But in terms of, I know I'm sort of rambling a bit now, but in terms of the the theory behind polarised being really easy or really hard, it's because of that calcium pathway which we get by going really easy to get that PGC1A, the, the mitochondria, etc. And it's that really high intensity to, turn in, to, to give us an energy crisis, which also uh, stimulates that same protein. And that's why it's the polarised, the, the traditional polarised model is... is meant to be very effective yeah and that that's why that's also i guess the extension to that is where does something like an 80 20 come about or when we start talking about 90 10 maybe in a second is because we can't do all of our training at that high intensity or we can like you in theory you probably could do all your training at the low intensity stuff but we're missing out on on half of those half of the half of the pathway really in terms of we're missing one side of that table if you actually look at the graph or the very simplistic version of the the um the model talking about some of this theory it's like if you cut out half, well, there's a, there's a lot of missing adaptation, which is what we commonly see in the lab. So that's where that 80-20 split comes from of that 20% of, uh, I guess, your, your training is that high intensity aspect and the 80% the, the low end. But in this circumstance here where we're talking about some of these Norwegians doing like 90-10, do you want to maybe elaborate on why maybe they don't need as much at that very top end potentially as a byproduct of at some point when you're an elite and you get very, very close to your genetic potential? Like there's probably maybe not much more in terms of VO2 max at the top end that they could improve. So largely for them, it's maybe that percentage of VO2 max that we can hold for extended periods of time that's more appropriate um, compared to someone who might be a, a pretty good age group, say triathlete or runner, who might be able to see an improvement of, uh, they might have their VO2 max at 50 and we can see it get yeah. to 55 and then maybe 60 over a period of time. Some of these elites might not be able to continue to push that. And that's where they still need that, that really big stimulus at the top but where they start to be able to push that a bit more to that 90-10 is, is just a byproduct of, well, maybe we can't move that top too much more, so how can we work on how much of the engine we can hold? Yeah, they're just trying to maintain their VO2 max. And we do the same thing when we come into a, you know, we, we, whether it's a, an amateur or an elite athlete we're working with, you get to the, the end of your training program and you're not doing 
a, a massive amount of, of high intensity. You're doing one session a week and it's it's probably 12 minutes of working time because that's all you need yep. to do to maintain it and the rest is going to be race specific or, or really easy. And it's pretty much the same the same story. We're not talking about um, these guys coming off a off a, an off season doing nothing for six months. So they're they're either in season and still fit. Their VO2 max is probably 80 <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Pretty ridiculous. Um, and if they're in an off season, like you wouldn't imagine they'd have more than two weeks, one to two weeks of doing nothing. They're going to be doing cross training or something. Like they're going to stay relatively fit. So yeah, 9010 is quite effective if you're just trying to maintain or, or slightly improve. Um, and if you're only doing 10% at intensity, then yeah, you can probably get away with doing whatever you know whether it's vt2 stuff or really high intensity vo2 max stuff from a loading perspective it's probably okay and the other thing i just wanted to so i know we're going back a bit here but i think it's worthwhile noting is is you go to any like elite sporting club like i say afl you go to an afl club now you're never going to see them doing 10k slow runs because no. their volume is not they obviously don't need to do 140k running volume that an elite runner would do but you're only going to they're not 80 20 or 90 10 they're probably 80% high intensity. They're probably the other way around, yeah. aren't they? But but the difference there is that they're not, yeah, like you said, it's they're the not loads. training. Yeah, they're not training 80Ks worth of running Correct. in a the week. They might only be training 20, 25Ks in a yeah. week, but they've got two sessions at a 7.5Ks of high intensity. Yeah. And then maybe they have like an easy spin on the bike just as a, a top-up bit of conditioning or their skills work is, is the extra stuff. Um, that's where you're going to have a very different, uh, I guess, different model of model of training. I think that's almost called... Is, called the high intensity model potentially and in terms of what that split looks like it flips it the other way but the reason they can achieve that is because their total total volume across the week is much much lower yeah um you, you can't you can't have more high intensity than long slow if you're doing 24 hours a week of, exactly. of um continuous well, i want to say continuous type activity so cycling running swimming that type of stuff you're not going to be able to have more high intensity than the low intensity in the week if if you're doing if you're doing big yeah. hours. And that's where it can get a little bit. No, I'm not frustrating. It's just something you have to communicate with people. Like everyone's heard of you know the eighty twenty rule, and you read books on it and things like that. But I mean that's that whole model is based on an elite uh, an elite schedule. It's twenty hours plus a week of training. So if you're a if you're an amateur and you're training three times a week. You can't say, oh, I can't do any intensity because I, I need to do 80% of it long and slow. Well, if I'm doing three times a week as an amateur, I'm doing all intensity. Like, that's all I would do. Yeah. Um, or at least two out of those three. Yeah, exactly right. one, one long, slow run. If you're an amateur doing three, run, three runs a week and you're building up to like a 10K, yeah. I'm absolutely doing two really good quality high intensity sessions. And then one long, slow just to keep some volume in the legs and and allow you to just continue to put one foot in front of the other as you get to the woods at the back yeah. end of that 10K. But yeah. yeah, have the emphasis the other way. But if you then start running eight times a week, exactly right. different story. Yeah, you just can't. You can't. Your body's not going to handle that load. It needs time yeah. to recover, things like that. That's when the 80-20 makes total sense. If you're on 140 Ks, then yeah, you wouldn't want to do more than, what's it, what, 10% of 140, that's 14 Ks of intensity. Yeah. Or if you want to do a tw the 20% rule, it's 28 Ks of intensity. So that's probably a mixture of your VO2 and your tempo threshold stuff. But that's a lot of Ks when you, when you look at that look at it that way. So mm -hmm. the, you have to have that 80-20 or the 90-10 because the elite endurance athletes are doing massive volumes and it would be irresponsible uh, and to, to do um, any more than 10 or 20% of yep. their volume uh, at, at high intensity. Um, well, yeah, that's where that's where the ninety ten in some of these really elite cases, like from a, from the Norwegian perspective, if you look at some of those triathletes like Eden and Blumenfeld and and all of that, I mean, yeah, they're probably training in excess of twenty five, almost thirty hours a week in times. I mean, 
10, 10% of that as high intensity, it doesn't sound like a lot when we just say 90-10 or 80-20. If you went and back calculated what 10% of their training week was, like that is a huge amount in terms of, like even if they're training 30 hours a week, what are we at? Three hours worth yeah. of high intensity Heaps. above, basically above their lactate threshold. That's a lot of stimulus in a week. Or in that specific example, maybe three hours is too, we don't need that much above above our our threshold in terms yeah. of our to max. So that's where, hey, well, let's do some of that time at our VT2 or LT2, yep. which is still heavy on the load, but it's three hours at, at 95% VO2 yeah. max. That's a pretty tough week. But yeah, <laughs> maybe you do your standard 30, 40 minutes across the week of yeah. that. And that, but then the rest is at that VT2, which is more sustainable, because otherwise it turns into a 95-5 model, which would be okay as well. But you know, yeah. you, you, again, you're trying to find that that nice balance of of getting the, the Ks and the legs, that PGC1A for the long, yep. slow, continuous, still ticking the box for that, that higher end, the AMP stuff. And then, well, we already ticked the box there, so let's do another bit at our VT2, which is more, more race-specific. That's just our, our race-specific intervals. So. But then even yeah. if we look at it, the, uh, the other end of the spectrum, like someone like a Blumenfeld who's going up in distance, I think that's probably an important point to touch on. Where is he, I guess, from the from the outside perspective, where is he probably more deficient, if you like, as much as he's an amazing athlete anyway, going from ITU or Olympic distance racing now up to 70.3 and Ironman distance? Well, it just makes sense from the outset to do more volume. He's got the intensity there. He, can, he definitely can go quick enough. Like, he's a... He's unbelievably fast. Like, there's not a question about his top end of his engine, but the 9010 is also appropriate, not because of the total training and how much high intensity, but also he probably just needs more volume to help get him up to that that level where he can continue the intensity that he's carrying from a an Olympic distance race into his 70.3 and then carry those similar intensities from 70.3 to Ironman. And ultimately, at, at some point, I guess the goal for someone like him is to go like sub seven, which is just absurd in terms of times from an Ironman perspective. But the volume aspect is probably going to be one of those critical factors because it, it can go fast enough. It's just, can he do it for long enough? And that's just looking at the individual, isn't it? Like most of the time we probably see maybe the opposite in more of the age group athletes where it's, we've already got a lot of long slow. We probably just need to top up top end from a elite athlete increasing the volume of their event or increasing the distance of their event they're competing at. They're already fast enough and really great at the top. He's got a VO2 probably in the eighties and 80, 84 at times probably the bottom end that he just needs to continue to develop that endurance aspect um which then flows into that sort of 90 10 model it's like well yeah he probably does actually have to have slightly more emphasis on the, the bottom end just as a specificity component yeah i mean and that, that example specifically like itu olympic distance or standard distance yeah hour 45 race you know what regardless of what training is doing in race day he's above his lactate threshold frequently not the whole yep. time but frequently whether that's rolling turns on the bike whether that's you know um, trying to break away on the run or anything like that. So he's going to get that intensity, that, that, that VO2 max style intensity, whether that's through training or, or through racing. So as you said, yeah, we just need to translate that to, all right, let's do it for, you know, eight hours now, or seven and a half hours now. So, yeah, I think it's a natural progression um, specifically for, for him to, to increase that volume um, at a, that means I mean, you're not going to, you don't need to, I don't know, we want to wrap up this podcast, obviously, but, I, you know, you get, Whenever you talk about Ironman distance stuff, a lot of people go, well, I don't care about VO2 max. I don't care that you can't, you know, your you velocity at VO2 max. It's all about can I hold a zone two, high zone two for, for a long time? And it's probably a, a discussion for maybe the next podcast or another podcast. But um, I feel like as as the duration of the race increases, the the top end VO2 max stuff is less specific. There's a less, less specific focus on that because you're not going to be holding that intensity. 
um, and that's where you might sort of do your, more your intensity stuff at your VT2 and your, your long slow, but there still is that role of let's boost that top end engine because that's going to increase your fat burning and stuff at the submax workloads as well. Yep. So, but again, let's not get into that now. We'll talk about that in a, in a future podcast. And actually, it might be a good one because we've got one coming up about Lionel Sanders and yep. how he's trying to uh, measure some of that stuff through his training as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. So let, let's save that for another day. Um, let's wrap it up there. Anything to add? No, all good. Nothing, cool. all good. Cool. Tune in for the. Yeah, so we'll get one out on Lionel Sanders and, and stuff that he's trying to do with a with a VO two master shortly. Uh, but we'll wrap it up there. Speak to you on the next one. Hopefully you enjoyed. Any questions, send them to nick at metsperformance.com or through our Instagram page at metsperformance. Hey podcast, Nick from Mets here. Hopefully you enjoyed another great episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. If you want to keep up to date with any future episodes we produce, other content we create here, or just anything that's happening in the lab here in general, be sure to click the link below. Sign up to our weekly updates. We're going to receive some absolute gold in terms of what's happening in the lab, what are we seeing and observing, and also some of our old content as well that you might have missed to further understand the science behind endurance performance. So if you are interested, make sure you do click the link below, sign up for those weekly updates, and head over to our social media as well. Follow us along at Instagram at Mets Performance. Head over to Facebook. We have a great YouTube channel as well. Be sure to check out all of our great content that is already up there, but also some of the great stuff that is coming soon. Thanks again. Be sure to share the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed another episode and we'll see you in the next one.